You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, Quick strategic thinking is crucial, and with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown, and through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. everyone, John Wertheim. It is this week's Sports Illustrated slash Tennis Channel Tennis Podcast. I am uh, off the proverbial grid this week, so we pre-taped this. But here's a conversation with Kelsey Anderson. A few of you had requested we get her back on. She was a guest uh, a few years ago. And she is the wife of Kevin Anderson, now up to number five in the rankings. And uh, we thought it would be fun to check in with her after uh, this tumultuous and ultimately quite happy Wimbledon, both for Kelsey and, and Kevin. He, of course... Beat Roger Federer, beat John Isner in an epic, truly epic, uh, 26-24 semifinal, and then um, comported himself well against Novak Djokovic in the final. So we caught up with Kelsey. Uh, what's it like to be the spouse of a player on a run like that? Uh, so it's a fun conversation with a uh, return guest. Uh, here she is. Here is Kelsey Anderson. Before we get started, though, Kelsey, thank you for doing this. I told you uh, I, I was hoping you were going to receive this on a desert island without Wi-Fi, but you got... Right back to me, <laughs> for better or worse. T- tell, where, where are you right now? Give us the update. Okay, we are actually, um, I'm at St. Andrews. I'm actually overlooking the 18th green at the old course of St. Andrews right now. Um, we were very fortunate to receive a couple invitations from our friends who are professional golfers competing this week at the Open out at Carnoustie. So um, we're here. We played golf. Kevin and I played golf at the old course of St. Andrews yesterday, which was just such a spectacular treat. And uh, then we're going to go out and watch some of our buddies competing um, at the British Open as things progress into the weekend. Was, it, was this spontaneous? Hey, hey, I'm in uh, the UK and here we are. It's July 15th. I happen to be in the Wimbledon final. Let's just stay over here. Or was this always in the plan? Um, no, it was definitely not in the plan. We were invited by our friends. I think when Kevin reached the quarterfinals, we started getting messages because people knew we were still around in the UK. Um, so we, we got a couple of invitations at that point. And I think we just felt like to kind of rush home right after the whirlwind of everything, um, 
might not allow us the time we need to actually reflect and enjoy on <laughs> Kevin's Wimbledon. So it was really nice to actually come here for a couple of days and do something special. I think I said to Kevin, it's the first non-tennis related trip that he and I had taken since our honeymoon. So it's oh, <laughs> nice to be doing uh, something different for once. Neither of us had been to Scotland before. So we're just really taken aback by how beautiful this place is. And um, it's a really quaint little town. We've just enjoyed being here so much. How many, uh, how many strokes do you give him when you guys play? Oh, gosh. He actually played better than me yesterday when we played the old course. I was struggling a little bit. We oh, don't um, admit that. We obviously didn't bring our golf clubs because we weren't planning to come here. So we uh, got new equipment from our friends at Strix. They gave us some golf clubs out at the Open. They, made, they built them for us um, on Wednesday. So I was struggling to work out the the – the trouble with the new equipment on the first couple holes, but then I figured it out and then I think I gave him a good run for his money. <laughs> but, but if you guys had, uh, if you had rental tennis rackets, you'd serve faster than him. So it's, it all evens out. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think it was a week ago to the minute you were sitting center court, watching your husband play a Wimbledon semifinal match that went, uh, more than six hours I guess first off, just just put us there. I mean, you've you've been with your husband now, ranked number five for the entire journey. You're sitting center court in the uh, in the family and friends box. Top line thoughts on that experience. Um, I mean, to be completely honest, at at the point when the match had progressed to the extra innings, you know, and it was going long in the fifth set. Um, I was so proud of Kevin for even putting himself in that position. You know, he came from behind. He was two sets down in that match. Um, he had won the first set but lost the second and third. So to even put himself in that position felt um, really good to still kind of be alive and staying in the match. And then throughout that fifth set, John was serving first. So Kevin was really under pressure the entire time to hold serve. Not that it should, in theory, make a difference. He should have to hold serve every game to win against a player like John, but um, that added pressure of being behind and serving to stay alive in a match, you know, um, I think kind of can ramp it up. So I was really proud of uh, Kevin's mental space at that moment in time. And I was feeling really confident that um, he had the will and uh, he was really going to dog this one out as long as it ended up going. Let's talk about your mental space, though. You, you've been there for the journey. It, uh, there, there are a lot of matches that don't play out in, in Wimbledon semifinals on center court uh, the second Friday of a major. What's it like for you sitting there watching, going through the, you know, the, these matches are sinuous and there are times where you're you're happy and there are times where you're probably worried. I mean, what is the mental state for you as a spouse? Um, it's kind of an interesting question because, honestly, usually I'm really nervous when I'm sitting in the box watching Kevin. I usually feel um, quite um, a lot of highs and lows throughout the course of a match, especially in the big moments, the big points. Um, I definitely get a huge adrenaline rush and I'm very, very, um, nervous and anxious the whole time. Weirdly, both in the Federer match and the Isner match, um, I, I wasn't feeling as nervous as I usually was. Obviously the gravity of the moment was not lost on me, but I also felt so confident in the way Kevin was playing and he was exuding so much confidence. You could really feel it from where we were sitting. And um, as much as I think tensions were running high, 
it was also a really enjoyable experience just to be out there and enjoy that level of tennis and kind of just watching Kevin compete to the best of his abilities. We talk so much about physical recovery, and he had a five-set quarterfinal win over Federer, came back in two days. He had the the 26-24 match, had to come back in two days. But I want to ask you about emotional recovery. Um, I, I don't think they're separate. I mean, I think one certainly has a lot to do with the other. But what is it like just coming down off off the high of beating Roger Federer? What was that day like in between? Then what was it like coming down off the high of getting to a Wimbledon final and saying, you know what, I still got three more sets to, to win here? Our coach said to him after he beat Roger Federer, he said, all right, you still got a tournament to win here, so let's get back to work. And I think that's something that now, having been in this position more than one time, Kevin, um, you know, can learn from his previous experiences that, you know, it's a great achievement and especially breaking through, but sometimes celebrating too much and um, not staying in the moment can um, let it get away from you a little bit. And I think he was determined not to let that happen this time around. So he uh, really kind of just didn't reflect too much on things as we were going along. Obviously, he was really happy to be Roger Federer, um, thrilled to get through the Isner match, but uh, the focus was always 100% on what came next. And so I think um, that was a really, uh, probably a positive thing to take from the tournament as far as um, not only achieving goals and a breakthrough, because I don't think Kevin had ever even been past fourth round here. So there were many, many breakthroughs throughout the tournament as it progressed and not letting those um, kind of distract from what still lied ahead and to kind of of continue to build upon the successes. So that was that was really cool and something I was really proud of from a mental perspective and standpoint. And what what's your interaction with Kevin during those off days? I mean, are you are you trying to keep things as normal as possible? Are you giving him some some distance and detachment? I mean, what is your dynamic like on the off days late in a tournament? Yeah, I mean, it's funny when Kevin's playing a tournament, it's very very uncommon for us to talk about t- tennis too much. Um, I feel like he discusses his strategy and he'll talk about tennis with his coach. And um, as far as a physical standpoint, he's going over things with his physiotherapist. And while I can offer advice here and there, we don't talk too much um, in the middle of competition about tennis. Uh, We try to keep it light and focus on other things. I've said so many times that having a dog with us has (laughs) been such a welcome distraction from a mental perspective because so much of... um, Kevin's decisions are always 100% focused on tennis, and that always comes first with respect to everything down to what time you're going to eat, what you're going to eat, when you're going to wake up. Everything revolves around tennis, so it's nice to have one aspect of your life that is um, a little bit separate from that, and it's a great distraction. So I think the dog has been helpful from a mental perspective as well. How is Kevin physically? That was quite uh, quite a taxing two weeks he had. You know, it's funny that you asked that because I honestly thought that that long match would have taken a bigger toll on him physically. Um, I think he's obviously a little bit um, tired just because there have been a lot of media requests and we've been trying to do as much fun stuff while we're here in St. Andrews. We've had a couple late evenings out at some of the local pubs. So things like that um, have maybe made him a little bit tired, but I think physically he's feeling pretty good from his um, from his tournament at Wimbledon. He's got his physiotherapist here with us, so um, that obviously helps a lot to be able to do 
a couple hours of um, physiotherapy treatment every day. And he's he's already been back in the gym and doing um, core strength and um, kind of trying to work on now rebuilding a little bit because you lose a lot of strength during a tournament. I don't think people realize um, when you're not working and lifting every day, your muscle mass really declines over the course of two weeks. So that's the first priority is to kind of get his, his strength back up to where it was. And, uh, hopefully it'll be, uh, you know, back in top shape when the U S hardcore tournaments start. Do you notice that? I mean, I remember, I remember Gilles Simone saying it's, it wouldn't be unusual for him to lose five pounds and it's not a big guy either. I mean, that's, that's a few percent of his body fat. I mean, it's, Five pounds in a major is what he said he sometimes loses. Yeah, I mean, definitely when when you're not um, your body, your body, I know, I think it's been scientifically proven that the body is going to break down muscle for energy, especially when you need it in the instance where you're competing in these in these difficult physical matches. Um, Another really big concern is hydration. Kevin has, especially because he trains at home in Florida, um, he's weighed himself before and after a practice session to see how much liquid and um, hydration he's actually needing to replenish. And I think it was something absolutely mind-blowing. Like he lost six, 16 pounds in a one-hour one session or something like that. And that's just sweat. Whoa. So it was, it was pretty mind-boggling um, to kind of put a number on that. And to realize you can't actually hydrate enough when you're competing under these conditions. And you you can't just drink water either. You have to have an electrolyte replenishment because it's not just um, H2O that's coming out of your body. So, you know, all that stuff and being aware of it obviously has helped Kevin over the years as he's learned and become more, become more professional with those things. Um, I think it definitely makes a difference in competition, especially in the later, t- later stages of a tournament when people are feeling kind of run down. My take on him is that he enjoys that part of the, uh, th- that part of the job that, that he's has, has this analytical take and he really likes breaking down the process like that and the, the sports science and the sports psychology. I'm, I'm not sure all athletes are like that, but my take on him is that uh, he doesn't mind the part of the job that's in addition to, to hitting a yellow ball. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, Kevin is just completely obsessed with anything he can do to help improve his game, and he's willing to do anything that might have even the slightest impact so it's really cool and fun for us to kind of explore different things and especially his team you know everybody who's contributed over the years from both his coaches to his physiotherapists to his strength and conditioning and then obviously on the mental side of things his mental coach um, they've all contributed in different ways and it's kind of been built over the years and now we seem to have a really good routine down um, of what helps Kevin compete at the optimal level and ultimately that's what it's always about we say you know things that maybe wouldn't matter for a normal person um, they do matter for Kevin when you're trying to achieve peak performance so um, that's always something that we are very uh, cognizant of and it goes down to everything even the products that we use like sun sunblock um, we make sure that it doesn't have certain ingredients that are harmful and um, all sorts of things so it really extends to every aspect of our lives and uh, I think I think not only does it 
um, actually have a physical um, impact when you take that approach and have that level of analysis. But I think also mentally, it provides a little bit of comfort and confidence that you know you've done everything you can. You know you're giving yourself your best shot. Um, I think that in itself breeds confidence too, which is really powerful. I feel like that's, I mean, I, I do think he's exceptional as, as a technician. I mean, there are guys like Raonic as well, but I think other players, it's it's more of an annoyance. But I, I feel like something we don't talk about enough, not just in tennis, but in all sports, is this notion, have I done everything in my power to give myself the best chance to succeed? Um, and I'm always surprised that I'm not sure every athlete can say that. Uh, Kevin does seem to be uh, one of these guys who may not win every time, but it's not for lack of professionalism can attack defend or modify that statement yeah I mean I think I've heard that a lot I've heard people say that Kevin is um the ultimate professional and honestly it's something that I'm really proud of as somebody on his team because that's the ultimate compliment for us truly it's you know that he takes things seriously that he's willing to put in the hard work that he's willing to do things the right way not the easy way and for me I mean that's the biggest testament to how Kevin has approached his whole career and um, it's it's a huge compliment and I I couldn't be prouder when I hear people say that especially as a former athlete what's what's your relationship with Kevin's coach Obviously, um, I've had a good relationship with all of Kevin's coaches. The first coach that he had, Louis, was um, before I began traveling with Kevin. So I wasn't quite as involved with that moment in time. But his other coaches that he's worked with, um, G.D. Jones, Neville Godwin, and now Brad Stein, I've been working very closely with them. And, you know, sometimes we'll often chat about Kevin when Kevin's not around. And I think I can offer some interesting insight for them that sometimes Kevin doesn't always share and vice versa. They can tell me things about practices and his mental state and how he's been doing um, that sometimes I don't necessarily perceive just as his wife. And what's been really great having Brad Stein around is that he brings a lot of knowledge from the later levels of, or the later moments of tournaments. Um, he used to coach Jim Courier. So, you know, he knows what it's like to go out and compete for a grand slam and bringing that level of expertise to the team has been a really positive addition. I think he's been able to give Kevin a lot of tools that have helped him in the big moments. And like I mentioned before, after the Federer match, he said, all right, now, now is where we get to work. This isn't where we celebrate. Let's, let's keep in mind. We still have a tournament to win was exactly what he said. So I think just somebody with that level of experience and expertise has been a very positive addition to everything. Obviously as an athlete, um, I can respect that. And I, I know how important the dynamic is between a coach and a player and, how it's, it's almost a make-or-break relationship. If it's not going well, um, nothing else seems to work. So it's it's really important that that's a positive force on the team, and we couldn't be happier with how everything's been going since Brad came on in January. Let me ask you, too, what's your relationship among, I guess I was thinking the last three opponents Kevin played, I'm blanking on who he played in the round of 16, but the, the last three opponents he played all had spouses, uh, Roger, John, and Novak. What's your relationship with the other player wives in tennis? Um, That's actually an interesting question because I think 
with the last time we spoke and did a podcast, there were not as many people traveling with their spouses like I was. These and I think that fields, was why I'm telling you. Right. you were interested in speaking to me. Yes. And so um, there's a few more people around week in and week out, it feels, these days. And it's a really nice group of, of women. And we've formed a little um, kind of friendship group where now we text one another and we actually had a get together all at Roland Garros organized by some of the French girls. Um, so we're going to try to kind of carry that forward where all of the wives and girlfriends can kind of join together and form a little bit of a bond because we do share this special experience. Um, to your question specifically, I don't know Mirka personally. I met her I think 10 years ago when Kevin was practicing with Roger in Miami, I think Kevin was ranked around 200 in the world at the time was the only time I've actually met her. But um, I have a huge amount of respect for Mirka and what she's done to help Roger. And uh, everybody just says she's such a positive force in his life and on his team. And um, she's, you know, somebody I, I idolize in a lot of ways. Um, And then John Isner's wife, Maddie is definitely somebody who I know, better being that she's American and um, we've hung out, you know, quite a few times. We were together at the beginning of the week at Wimbledon before we even knew that Kevin and John might run into one another. So, you know, we have a really great relationship. We both congratulated each other after the match and kind of remarked that it was unfortunate a match like that even had to have a winner. So that was something that um, was difficult, obviously. I know exactly how both of them felt um, in in the quarterfinal and in the semifinal. Nobody nobody likes to lose a match like that, and um, I, I could really commiserate with what they were going through. Um, you'd, did, did you know, by the way, did you know Mirka? I, I'm amazed by how many people don't know this. Uh, you, you know Mirka was like a top 100 pro, right? Yeah, they met at the... Um, the Olympics. Think, yeah, Didn't City they Olympics. Play yeah. Together? Yeah, that's how they met. I knew I did know that. I knew she was really talented in her own right. No, but I but I was thinking too in terms of you, you know, you you were uh, you know, a, a D1 athlete, a competitive athlete. Um I, I always think people tend to overlook that Mirka knows what it's like to play in the main draw of a, of a major and she knows what an opponent taking too much time, what impact that has on the receiver and the server. Um I feel like that sometimes gets lost in the discussion um i want to ask you uh, you you mentioned kevin's mental coach and i I don't know if you uh if you could hear when when we talked to him on tennis channel he he spoke a great deal about the benefit of sports psychology i'm curious can you see the moments when the sports psychology is is paying benefits i mean can, can you see the moments during a match when you say aha i i know what he's thinking right now or i know that point right there attributes to sports psychology Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, without a doubt. And it's actually something that um, we've spoken about with with Kevin, um, you know, when he first started using some of the tools and um, the the processes that she had laid out for him. It wasn't obvious to us necessarily when he was doing it and when he wasn't. And um, there was discussion about making sure it's purposeful enough that his coach or myself or his psychologist should be able to tell when he's doing it or not. Obviously the average lay person would not be able to detect that, but we can. And um, it's good. It's important. And it kind of, you know, we can then give him a little report card of how well he's doing with, with the stuff and 
or whether he's not doing so well. And I would say I commented after the Federer match that it was the most purposeful and the most committed he was to his routines and his mental um, psychology that I'd ever seen in any match. And his, his sports psychologist had messaged me to say she felt the same. So, you know, I, I think there's not even a shred of doubt how powerful sports psychology can be and how important it is in this game. Um, I think in tennis, just in speaking with other um, player wives and things like that, I really do think it's underutilized. I think, honestly, as the game continues to progress in the years to come, I think we will see people focusing on that more. I think golf is a great example where um, a lot of golfers have focused a lot more on sports psychology in recent years, and you've seen a big improvement in the consistency and quality of players. And um, I think tennis is still a little bit behind in that. So it'll be interesting to see um, if more people get on that bandwagon or not. But um, I know for a fact it's had a huge impact on Kevin's game and his psychologist, Alexis Castori, um, is really just remarkable. And it's, it's been really fortunate that we've had her. Can you give us um, can you give us a concrete example? I mean, I, I know in in golf, I've heard uh, a friend of mine's a golf psychologist who works with a bunch of PGA pros, and I think you're right that this is being embraced more and being destigmatized. Um, but I, it, it's always an abstract discussion. I mean, what's what's a concrete example of something that you recognize? Whether it's, uh, you know, um, I, I don't know. I mean, uh. A, a pattern or, or something that, that you're picking up on? Well, a, a really good example um, of just something that he's done a lot more is just visualizing, um, visualizing how he wants to play, visualizing the types of points, the types of patterns. So that's something that he does obviously during a match, but he'll also do it leading up to a match. He'll do it sometimes when he's laying on the treatment table and it, sometimes it's as easy as just closing his eyes and imagining things. Um, he's also sometimes will watch video of good points, good tiebreakers, good matches he's played in the past. And I think that's really a powerful tool. And as you said, like golfers, they, they will do that often. They always talk about visualizing their shot as they're about to make the stroke. So um, that's, that's one example. And it's something that we can see him doing sometimes during matches. And it's a really powerful tool that I don't know how many other players are utilizing things like that, but it's been it's been really powerful for Kevin. I always remember, you know, Rich Beam, the golfer. I remember him saying, ne- "Negative thoughts are like leaves on a stream that you just watch them f- flow downstream and until uh, you can no longer see them." Um, yeah, yeah. What uh, you you cannot have a uh, tennis discussion. There's there's a new tennis ordinance. You can't you can't have a discussion this week without weighing in on what we should do about these long. Five sets. Um, Kevin made it clear where he stands. What What do you think? And especially as someone who sat there watching your husband serve second, you're uh, uniquely qualified to speak on this. Where Where, where do you stand on what to do uh, in a fifth set? Yeah, I mean, it's it's look, it's a tough decision because I completely understand what's so wonderful and fantastic about Wimbledon after all these years is that they haven't changed and that they've maintained all this rich history and everything um, throughout hundreds of years. So it's not lost on me that there is historical significance to the format and the way that this is being played. But um, personally for me and watching uh, the competition that Kevin went through last week, I think at some point 
it's, it's up to the people in charge and the players themselves to decide how they want tennis to operate. Um, I think right now people view it as a sport, as a game, and I don't think a sport or a game necessarily should be this extreme feat of strength like these matches can ter- become when they, they go long like that. And, I mean, it's it, it becomes in the instance of the match Kevin and John played or the match that John had played a, a few years ago, it's, it's almost more like an Ironman or a marathon. And that's great. That's an extreme challenge, and you're pushing yourself to your physical limit. Um, and those people, they take weeks, months, sometimes years to recover before they go do it again. So... I don't know if we should really treat tennis the same as something like that, some extreme physical challenge. Personally, for me, I would like to see it um, have some sort of breaker. I I don't know what the answer is, to be honest. I don't know if it should just be a six-all tiebreaker like they do at some of the other slams or if they should, you know, have some extra games. Maybe they play a super breaker in the final set um, just so it, you know, there's a little bit more – time for the players to kind of earn the win but at some point i think ultimately uh we we just have to decide if we value the 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 bodies of the players enough uh to limit it and to kind of eliminate the the long drawn out marathon matches um you know luckily like i said kevin came out of it it seems so far relatively unscathed but it easily could have caused some long-term injuries that then affect the player for years to come. So that, that was definitely something that was going through my mind during the match and um, worried me as things progressed. So I personally would like to see things change um, to a shorter format, but again, I, I do understand the flip side. I understand the history of it all and why people are reluctant to change. And so I, it's a, it's a tough issue and I'm going to be following it closely to see what happens. That is entirely too nuanced and thoughtful a take. You you need you need a hot take <laughs> and uh, stick behind it. Um, what so I mean, it sounds like his schedule as of now isn't going to change despite playing seven matches in a, in a twenty six twenty four match um, at Wimbledon. I mean, it sounds like he's he's number five now, and and the summer schedule is going to stick. Yeah, I mean, it seems that way. He he was actually planning on playing team tennis this week um, for Billie Jean and the Philadelphia Freedoms, but I think he did uh, pull out of that. He was a little bit too tired <laughs> to uh, get on a plane to Philly. I think I think their first match was maybe on Thursday. Um, so, yeah, he, he's not playing that, but I don't believe he has plans to change his schedule from there. All right, finally, last question, and, and thanks, we, we went over time, but um, it is now five days since the final adrenaline is worn off. It sounds like physical recovery is underway too. I mean, I don't, you as the spouse re- reflect, what are your, with, with some time to take a deep breath and, and play a few rounds of golf um, reflections on uh, 2018 Wimbledon. How, how, how are you guys holding up? Honestly, I couldn't be more proud of Kevin. Um, everybody has been so nice that we've met. Um, and it's, it's pretty cool because you know, he's done well in, in big tournaments before, but I think Wimbledon uh, really is something special. And the awareness that people had of what Kevin achieved last week um, far surpassed anything else in his career so far. So that's been really cool to be a part of. And um, just, you know, to see 
what an impact Kevin made on people, not just with how he played last week, but I think also with some of his conduct. Um, so that, that to me has almost made me more proud than anything else that he achieved from a tennis perspective. Um, just hearing people compliment his um, sportsmanship and the way he conducted himself in off-court interviews. So that was, that was almost, um, for me, the best part of everything. If I, if I had to pick one thing, <laughs> that would be it. That's really nice to hear. We, we talk sometimes, uh, you know, tennis is such a tough sport and 127 players leave an event on a losing streak. It, it sounds as though uh, this is an instance where he may not have won his last match, but the, the positive vastly outweigh uh, any disappointment of not winning Wimbledon. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, ironically, I should have felt the same way after his U.S. Open run where he did so well, but I didn't. That really did feel, you know, like a loss. And it felt like, man, he, he could have done more. We should have done more. But um, this tournament, I just feel like he did everything he set out to achieve. Obviously, he would have liked to give himself a better shot in the final. But I think he uh, he really did, even in that, that final match, turn things around um, and get himself into contention for the third set, giving himself a set point and stuff. So I think that in itself felt like a victory, just to be able to overcome the nerves a bit and get to a point where he could compete freely. So, yeah, we did leave with a really positive feeling as opposed to feeling kind of defeated, like you maybe normally would after a tough match. This is a, a long trip for you. You've been on the other side of the ocean for uh, for quite a while. But uh, this was great. It's a, always a pleasure uh, speaking. And um, I, I feel like... Last time we spoke, it was uh, in the middle of a five-set match against Novak at Wimbledon, and now uh, we're, we're talking after. Maybe next time we'll speak, it won't be after a Wimbledon defeat to Novak Djokovic, but um, yeah, lot, lot to, uh, lot, lot to be happy about. <laughs> no offense, Novak, but yeah, it would be exactly. great if Kevin could get one of these big ones at some point. Yeah, totally. <laughs> go, uh, go get your own golf clubs and beat your husband. Okay. All right. We'll work on that. <laughs> so don't let his head get too big. Um, all right. Thanks. Thanks as always. And uh, we will tell people where they can follow you on Twitter, et cetera. But uh, always a pleasure. Oh, thank you, John. It was a joy talking to you. Thanks. Take care. Safe travels. All right. Thanks to Kelsey. Always a pleasure talking with her. That was interesting. I, I didn't. Uh, it's interesting to hear uh, a variety of her thoughts, not least of which was she had much different feelings after Wimbledon versus after the U.S. Open, though her husband uh, got to the finals of both of those majors. Anyway, uh, thanks to Kelsey. Always a pleasure talking to her. Thanks, as always, to uh, our producer, Jamie, who listened to that conversation, technical difficulties notwithstanding. Uh, Jamie, top-line thoughts. What do you think of Kelsey? She's great. She's awesome, like you said, a returning guest. One thing, though, at the end, you told her, <laughs> you told her to get her golf clubs and go beat her husband. Probably not the best thing to say. <laughs> oh wow, double entendre. Um, as, <laughs> I'm as, just kidding. As Tiger I'm Woods plays a uh, it, strong second round, it threw me off a little. Oh, I'm well, just joking. Uh, with boy, um, she's great. She's as you kind of said in her final answer. She's super insightful. Um, she has a lot of good information, and uh, I think when we first spoke with her, we like she said talked to her about being you know, Kevin Anderson's wife and what her background was and how she really had a life of her own. And then now she's sort of turned into this tennis wife. But now um, I feel like she, Kevin's career has been so different 
since we talked to her last and she seems to be really into kind of his tennis even more and how he's preparing and how he's training and it's just really cool to hear about that and specifically the sports psychology stuff as well i'm i'm fascinated by these tennis and they tend to be spouses um I mean, they, they tend to be wives, but I would say spouses in general. How, as this sport has gotten so team-oriented and so competitive, and I think at some level how the, the finances and the money has changed things, these spouses serve such functional roles. And I, I mentioned Mirka, who, former player, has some real tennis insight. And in the case of Kelsey, Division One golfer, she knows what it's like to be a professional athlete. I also think that my theory on her is one of her, her sort of unwritten duties she is is charismatic. You heard her. She's very sort of outgoing and uh, extroverted, and in some ways, that serves a function. I mean, she's helping, and through she's popular on Twitter, and she she's very sort of accessible and and outspoken. Um, I think one of her roles, whether this is spoken or not, I don't know whether this is what it is. She's helps with the PR side, and she helps shape Kevin Anderson's image, and she does some interviews that maybe he would be less inclined to do. But um, I, I think the notion of the, at least in tennis anyway, the, the spouse, and, and I include husbands on that, is just sort of along for the ride in the bag carriers. I think that's really outmoded. Um, I don't know if that was ever the case, but I don't think it's the case at all now. I think like Kelsey Anderson, um, again, follow Novak Djokovic's wife on Twitter or, or watch, watch Mirka in action, and it's clear that there's a real team element that they serve that uh these are these are real contributing members of their spouse's success um for sure anyway you know i'd say the same about serena too this is not i I don't consign this just to wives no no but i mean i think serena's case is very different because of the high profile person that alexis was before he became a tennis husband if you will you but uh kelsey is also the keeper of the anderson puppy which she she kind of explained, which I thought was really cute, that that sort of was something that was keeping keeping him lighthearted and keeping him not too focused uh, on the tennis. And I should have you know that the dog has its Lady own Katie. Instagram. Very good. I was perusing this earlier today. Um, Very I, cute. I have a theory on these dogs, by the way. Do you? Which is it makes for a cute storyline, and the Williams sisters, and I mean, used to every player used to carry a, a dog in their in a bag and Martina Navratilova did. I think there's a real practical, pragmatic function to these pets, which is it is a very strange and very itinerant life that these athletes leave. And, and dog having this dog with you gives you Normalize. a certain sense of normalize and, and, uh, um, and routine. And I, I feel like there's a real function to having, uh, a dog that goes beyond like it's, it's a cute, uh, it's a cute toy for Instagram. Um, are you a dog person? in our apartment and uh it's a long story um <laughs> okay i i want to be more than i am but uh we, we can't That's have fair. one we can't have one in our apartment but but i do i do think um these dogs serve a point being these dogs serve a uh, yes. a real purpose but um no it was interesting to hear, hear from kelsey i mean again you could see she knows about her husband's sports psychology she knows about his hydration uh again i think that uh tennis has really become a team sport masquerading as an individual sport. And these are team members that really contribute to, uh, to success, male and female. Um, all right. That does it for this week. You and I both have to bounce. I will be away, but we're going to, uh, we're going to pop this in, um, next week. So Jamie, thanks as always. If people were, uh, so inclined, do you want to remind them where they might be able to listen to these podcasts? 
They can go on Apple Podcasts and look up Beyond the Baseline, subscribe, leave a review. Very good. All right. We will have a uh, another guest. Rumors of a uh, an ascending Greek player joining us soon. But um, Kelsey was uh, a great guest this week. We will uh, do it again in seven days. Have a great week, everyone. Thanks, as always, to Jamie. Keeps the guest suggestions coming. And have a good week, everyone. Thank you.